Let's get into this morning. We're, uh, we're Mark chapter 15. Before we do, let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to bless this time. Lord, we, we love you. We need you. And we thank you, Lord, that you're the kind of God that shows up. And we make mistakes and we uh, get distracted. Uh, and Lord, we, we misunderstand at times. And all along, you're there redirecting, drawing our attention back to you. Uh, and pushing us, Lord, uh, in the direction, hopefully, that we'll follow you. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning, this passage, uh, what you had Mark write down, and what it could mean for us today. Pray that that would be uh, the, the use of our time, and that we do it in a way that honors and glorifies you, uh, draws attention to your Son, and is guided by your Spirit. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are the setting is we are we are we're not just in Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem at this point. Uh we're getting to the end. Uh you know, last week, last chapter, uh Judas made a bad choice and you know, betrayed Jesus and Peter denied him three times and we we kind of chuckled about how, you know, Judas and Peter kind of got a bad rap last chapter, but where were the other 10? It's not like they were doing any better. In fact, they all said the same things and, and promised the same, and they just disappeared. Uh, they just weren't as vocal about it as the other two, maybe. Uh, and we have a tendency to be that way. But uh, Jesus is now betrayed. He's in the custody of the Romans, and uh, pl- plenty of fans uh, of the Romans uh, going behind them as they traipse from one place to the other uh, through trial. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see the trial. Uh, and boy, everybody's just happy for this to go the way it's going. Uh, and, and we are too. We are too. For totally different reasons. Uh, because God's gonna prove some things, show some things, example some things for us, uh, that, that are life changing and, um, priority setting for us, uh, that are Christians that follow Christ. Amen. Uh, here we go. As soon as it was morning, this is Mark chapter 15, verse 1. The chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. I just think it's funny, a consultation. <laughs> We're just going to consult. No, <laughs> they're, they're uh, trying to figure out how they can kill him. Remember, it told us that last chapter. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Why, why deliver him over to Pilate? I mean, you've got him. He's in custody. You're having a consultation. Why, why not just get rid of him right then? Roman law. You see, the Romans were in control. The Romans made sure you knew they were in control. And there was only one man in the whole area who could give permission for capital punishment. The ultimate there's only one guy, the Roman representative of rule in Israel. That was Pilate. So we want to kill this guy really bad and darn it. Pilate's the only one that can do it. Let's go find Pilate, right? So they bring him to Pilate. Uh, Pilate asked him, verse two, are you the king of the Jews? What a great, great question. Kind of ironic that it's posed by the Roman leader rather than the Jews themselves asking that question. Are you our king? Uh, no, they were too busy trying to crucify him, trying to kill him. But Pilate asked just the greatest, most poignant question. Are you the king of the Jews? Uh, folks, you got an answer for that this morning? Yeah, all right. Three of you. Good. That's <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, 
You know, really, that's it's a it's a great question. If if you change it to modern context, not just is he the king of the Jews, is 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 he the king of you? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in our in our country and in our culture and our world, and they will continue to go on. Uh, it may only get worse. Who knows? Uh, but you will be in conflict as a, as a Christ follower. And you'll need to constantly look to who is your king, who's really in charge, who makes the rules, decides what's right and wrong, and the whole thing. Because uh, you're going to get opposition. right? There's, there's people that are out there that don't want us to do what we're doing. And it, it, it's tragic to me uh, to be woken up on a text alert from a news source that says two churches today... Palm Sunday in Egypt, bombed. There's opposition. When we got to ask the question, is he our king? You know, is he our king when it's when it's convenient and you get donuts and coffee? <laughs> I mean, he's definitely my king then. Okay, I'm just saying. Uh, but when it gets difficult, uh, then what? You know, uh, that's, that's when it becomes really important. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. I love that. I think that's the ancient version of, hey, you said it yourself. <laughs> you said it, not me. I love that Pilate has kind of come to the answer, but not really come to the answer and is asking the question and puts it in such a way where Jesus can say, well, you've said so. Kind of, kind of doesn't answer the question, though, does it? I mean, it kind of answers the question, but then it kind of doesn't. It's almost like, well, what do you say? You've said it. What do you think? Puts the question back on Pilate. Uh, very interesting, uh, because uh, kind of maybe in a devotional way puts the question back on us. What would we say? Do, do we really think it? You know, very interesting answer. Uh, love that he said it that way. Verse three, and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Uh, really, we've, uh, we've heard from Jesus for the second to last time. In, in prior to the crucifixion. He, that's all he says. He doesn't really comment on any of the other things. It's, it's kind of interesting to me. I, my list of questions for God when I get to heaven. Hey, why, why didn't, Jesus, why didn't you say more? Why didn't you defend yourself? Why don't you use some logic or, or give a good defense? Good answer. Uh, but he goes quiet and almost lets them decide for themselves how they're going to proceed. Uh, which is fascinating to me because, you know, there's this big argument in, in Christendom. Uh, is everything predestined or do you have free choice? Should we get into that one this morning? <laughs> How about not? Uh, but here's the argument. I would, I, I would make an argument for predestination and I would make an argument for choice. I like them both. And I think in God's economy, he can make them work simultaneously to where we don't understand it, but he does. That's my short version. Okay. But I love in the idea of choice, it's almost as if Jesus answers the question, says, well, you have said so, then says nothing else and leaves them to choice. Uh, now, I don't think that's entirely true because I think he's predestined some things. 
And I would, to that, I would say amen. But there is the implication that he's going to let them kind of think and proceed as they think and proceed, which is I, not maybe the way I would have done it if I was almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. I might do it a little differently, which is why it's good that he's God and not me. Amen? All right. Uh, and you too, by the way. Chief priest accused him many things, uh, and, and he made no further answer. Pilate was amazed. Verse 6, now at the, free, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was an uprising and he'd committed some murder, uh, so he's a bad guy, uh, there was a man called Barabbas. Uh, and the crowd came up and again began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? That's kind of interesting. What's he just called him? Man, I wish that uh, sarcasm or honesty could come through in just writing. Because I can't tell. Has he taken the name for Jesus, king of the Jews? Or is he kind of mocking the Jews? Hard to say. You know, it's very interesting in the way Mark writes his book. You don't get a whole lot of commentary. You know, some of the other accounts of the gospel, the other writers will put in little phrases, and he thought this, and he meant this, and he was trying to, you know, Mark kind of just tells the story and the facts. And to read it the way Mark wrote it, it's kind of hard to understand. Well, is he for him or against him? And you can kind of, maybe he does that on purpose because you can kind of see it in the way that Pilate's going to handle Jesus. It's hard to tell if he's for him or for against him because he's really letting the people choose, uh, which doesn't imply that he's for or against. For he perceived, verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, and then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Now see, there I think, now I think he's getting sarcastic. Because they for sure aren't calling him the king of the Jews. But he says, this is the one you call king of the Jews. Now they, they wouldn't call him king of the Jews anyways, because you wouldn't do that with a Roman ruler who's in charge. His title and Rome's title would be king, right? So you wouldn't give that to somebody else. you get yourself in legal trouble with the guys in power that be. So there's some kind of, you know, cheeky thing going on here. Uh, but they stirred up the crowd, and, and then he asked that question, and they cried out again, we changed our mind. Is that what they, they yelled out? They, they, they cried out, crucify him. They were envious. They had other plans. They said, you know, if we could just move Jesus out of the way, then we can keep doing our own thing. Gosh, that sounds real familiar, doesn't it? If we could just move Jesus out of the way and just keep doing our own thing. And that's culture today. That's human culture. That's human nature, folks. You know, the reality is uh, doing what Christ calls us to do many times is difficult, it takes energy costly uh, could be uncomfortable and he says oh no we're gonna do what's best rather than what's easy and we have to make that decision 
they asked uh, they asked for Barabbas. It was interesting, Kevin. You um, Kevin mentioned to me this morning. You know what Bar- Barabbas means? And I hadn't really thought about it very much. It just, he's a he's a murderer, right? Bar. Do you know Bar in in Hebrew? Bar. Anyone? I know there's someone in here who can answer this. Bar means son, right? Yeah. And uh, you ever heard Abba before? Oh, daddy or father. You know, people like to say daddy. I don't know how many people say daddy anymore. When you're an adult, to say daddy feels a little awkward. But uh, maybe it's a more appropriate emotional title. So what's his name? Daddy son? Son of daddy? Son of the father? <laughs> Who are they crying out for? They're crying out for son of the father. And yet they're killing king of the Jews. Who is the only God could write stuff that good. That is hilarious folks. And I've told you over and over the Bible's funny if you really read it and paying attention. Right. So kind of like Barabbas a little more Mm -hmm. this morning. Uh, Pilate verse 14 said to said to them, uh, why, what, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. They had to shout crucify him because they couldn't answer the first question. What more, what evil has he done? Well, what we know uh, is that he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. So what evil had he done, folks? None. Zero. So what makes him worthy to be a sacrifice? Amen. Uh, They shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them... Son of the Father. Uh, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute. Hail, King of the Jews. Now we know they're mocking him. Uh, how do we know that? Because it's going to say it in a second. Uh, and they were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. Not really kneeling down in homage. They're kneeling down to mock him, right? Verse 20, and when they had what? See, I don't make this stuff up, folks. Just so you know. <laughs> if you're taking score at home, I don't, I don't make this stuff up. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. You know, I was reading this uh, this week in preparation, and I was thinking to myself, what a little bit of a microcosm that little phrase there is. You need his purple robe, and they strip him of that, put him in his own clothes, and then send him out to be crucified. And I thought, you know, that's kind of like a little microcosm of what ultimately Christ was doing, what God was doing with his son. He sends him down to earth, kind of strips him of his purple robe, puts him in regular street clothes, and sends him off to be crucified. I wonder if there wasn't a little double meaning in there, and intended or not. I think it's kind of fun. This idea that uh, Christ gives up things he could have claimed and done in order to be a sacrifice, and that he would put on regular clothes. Uh, and live on the planet with us and, and, and walk amongst us. I, I love the idea that they, they uh, made a crown of thorns. You know, they go through the hardships of life and whatever. They, they say, you know, maybe 33 years or so to put up with it for 33 years and then to go to the cross when he knows they'll all turn away. 
and yet stays on task because he knows what's most important, what does God really want. Um, I think we love all of that, folks. Crown of thorns and everything. I love that uh, uh, we got a little decoration on the cross for our season. And, and you love that little bit of circular stuff in the middle of that. What's that look like? Crown of thorns, right? Kind of fun. They led him away to crucify him, verse 21, and they compelled a passerby. They compelled, Welcome Rock Bible Church, we are compelling ourselves and others to Christ. I love that they use that word, compelled. A passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. wonder how that conversation went, that negotiation. Hey, uh, you know this Jesus? Everybody's heard of him. You heard him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to go crucify him, but we've beat him up enough. He can't carry the cross. Would you be willing to carry it for him? Kind of puts you in an awkward place if you're Simon, huh? Don't you have to make a decision there? That one's kind of rough. But I kind of love the way Mark writes about it. Why? They compelled him. He must have carried it. End of story. And we move on. Not enough deliberation to even write it down. So Simon carries the cross and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Kind of like that, because he said last chapter, hey, you know, I'm going to have, this is my blood shed for you. Pass the cup around, drink this, and often as you do, it's in remembrance of me. And then he has a little phrase, he says, and I will not drink again of this cup until I am in the kingdom again with you. Wow. Now he's offered wine right before he's about to be crucified. What's he do? Doesn't take it. You know, can this guy just not make any mistakes? He gets everything right, doesn't he? I love that. Love that. Uh, He did not take it. Verse 24, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. They cast lots over stuff, you know, that's prophesied, but Mark doesn't even mention it. Just mention another uh, gospel account of it. But they're doing all these things, fulfilling all these scriptures. Uh, Verse 25, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, the king of the Jews... It's interesting, that's the charge against him. The charge against him is, you're the king of the Jews. It's ironic and backwards. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. What a great story that is in a different gospel for another time. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. How disrespectful that is. How uncomfortable and mean. And yet, point on. Isn't that about what he's going to do? He's about to do exactly that. And save himself? Yeah. Is he going to get off the cross? Yep. I, I love uh, that you know, in, in Christian churches, for the most part, when you see a cross, is there a body on it? Why don't we do that? I mean, it's a great, it's a great statement. The sacrifice he made on the cross and the body on the cross is a, is a great thing that Christ did for us. 
But why don't why don't why don't we keep the body on there? Well, we got a cross. I mean, it's a great cross. I mean, a little more artistic, a little opportunity for creative expression. Why no body on the cross anymore? And not on the cross anymore. And he's not dead. Next Sunday, we're going to come in and there'll be some decorations and some refreshments and people will be a little gussied up, okay? Compliment people. When, if they tried, reward the effort, okay? But when you come in, there's this whole thing going on and there's this little exchange thing that we do on Sundays because we're a little bit weird and we like tradition. We'll come up to somebody and we'll say, hey, he's risen, right? What's he going to say back? He is risen indeed, right? That's, that's all you got to do. Christ, Christianity is really pretty easy sometimes. All you got to remember is he is risen indeed, right? Or you could start it. My, that would really throw some people off too. I mean, if you're, especially if you're the ones that haven't tried very much and you get gussied and then you, and then you lead with the phrase, he is risen. Who are you and what have you done with Scott? <laughs> you know, uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Why do we say that on, on Easter? To, to remember what they thought they were mocking. And we're not remembering it because they mocked it. We're remembering because of all that it represents. You who said you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, yeah. And he did. Amen? You who, who said that once you save yourself. Well, he did. Once you save others. Well, he did. Come down on the cross, off the cross. He did. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Verse 31. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. I love that. They, they're trying to mock him and they get it absolutely correct. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Now, not exactly the way they wanted it to do, but it did happen. And why did it happen? So that people could see and believe. I'm telling you, only God could write this stuff. It's written so well. Those crucified him, they were reviled him also. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. I'm sure I butchered that. But it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've kind of wondered about that. Was he really forsaken or is that how he felt? Is, is Jesus emotionally self-aware and communicating how he feels? Or is he making a theological statement that he's been forsaken? Not quite sure. Now, the other theologians want to make arguments on either side. And you know what? I think they're great arguments. But I don't want to answer that one. I just want to wait, get to heaven, ask God face to face. Was he really forsaken or was just going through... <clears throat> the hoops he needed to go through, that we might have salvation, that he might prove who he was, that he might show his power over death. I don't know. 
But he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Boy, they have an incredible ability to miss the point, don't they? Who are they related to again? Us. We have an incredible ability to miss the point. Verse 36, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion stood facing him, wait, 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 I thought we, I thought we just left and went to the temple. One sentence. The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why, why is that like slid in there? Is this kind of out of place? I, I watched Sesame Street and I paid attention. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. Why throw that in there? It's just the facts, right? And zero commentary. What's the commentary that goes with that? We'll have to... Well, maybe, right? We'll have to get to that. But the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly this man was the son of God. Boy, centurion kind of had to make a decision there, didn't he? Well, he didn't have to. He just made a decision. Well, I would argue that based on what he saw and, and how he watched it, and what he witnessed Jesus do, and how Jesus did it, in the presence of Jesus, he had to make a decision. He had to make that decision. Oh, I know who he is. I love the irony, because now you've got two different characters representing Rome. One, undecided, kind of letting people choose, Pilate. And then you've got this centurion says yeah you know regardless of what everybody else decided I will make my own decision I will watch and experience for myself and then makes a great decision a decision any of us could make right truly this is son of the father there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and in Joseph and Salome When he was in Galilee, they followed and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That's an understatement right there. The the person that was really kind of putting himself in the face of Rome as who's really the leader of the Jews. Uh, The person that Israel has decided they want crucified. After, I mean, the decision's been made now. Jesus has been crucified. He is dead and it's over. He lost in a, a secular perspective. From a secular perspective to go in then and say, we still value this guy. You're picking the side that lost. And what what do they do to the losers in this game again? They crucify him. They kill him. Joseph, 
And maybe he was one of the few people that could do this because he was a respected member of the council. Maybe that's what gave him this opportunity. He goes in and he asks for the body. Folks, did Joseph have to make a decision? Boy, he did, didn't he? Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. (laughs) I wonder if it's the same centurion. That's some fun irony. Got him in the same setting now. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That's kind of interesting. You know, even to this day, they argue over where that tomb is. Boy, they fight and battle and strong opinions, the whole thing. As if the place was the most important thing. Went to Israel a few years ago, uh, 2013 or so, and got to travel around. It was kind of interesting to me how sacred places were, and yet to watch how people treated each other there. It felt so backwards to me in so many instances. Of course, they loved us. We're Americans and we're tourists and we bring cash. So everybody's nice to us. But amongst each other, especially uh, in the one, the one building where you've got many different sects of Christianity all trying to share a space and watching how they interact, yelling and screaming at each other. It's just goofy. As if the place was the most important rather than the event or the person or the ramifications. I'm pretty sure that what Jesus did on the cross made it so that I don't have to go to a specific place. I have to go to a specific God. Absolutely love that. But may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Hey, 47 verses of Mark chapter 15. Let's look at a a couple things uh, from a devotional perspective this morning on what do we take from this? And we've been uh, going through the book of Mark, chapter at a time. I, w- I wonder if anybody has noticed or been paying attention, keeping score at home. You notice anything about the titles for the sermons for like 15 chapters now? Jesus, Jesus is in every title. We're forgetting Jesus or remembering Jesus or listening Jesus or following Jesus based on what the passage is about. And then we get to chapter 15 and chapter 15 we're sacrificing Jesus. That's really what the chapter is about. And, you know, I think there's some things that we can kind of take from this. And I I think we've got to stretch it a little bit. Because, again, Mark, in his account, one, Jesus doesn't talk in the chapter. Two, where are the disciples? You don't see anything from them. And three, there's, there's virtually no commentary. It's almost as if Mark's just taking you through just the facts. And then it requires us to kind of watch and listen and go, okay, here's what we think we get from this. It's very similar to maybe to Jesus' approach in the questions that Pilate asked him. Hey, you can ask all the questions you want, but you've seen everything you need to see. Make your decision. And so we're going to kind of go from that perspective. I think one of the things that we need to remember, like look at this, this verse, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. 
But then in, in the face of that, they go on and they sacrifice him anyways. And so I want to look at what, what does the sacrifice of Jesus do? What, what does it do? The first thing I think that it does, uh, that we really need to pay attention to, is the sacrifice of Jesus, at, at, while he's being sacrificed, pardons Barabbas. At the same time. And to me, it's, it's so poignant. It's so double meaning. It's not just that Jesus uh, went to the cross and, and by the way, along the way to the cross, they had this little tradition where they had to give somebody up and they chose somebody else. And so Jesus went still, and that's how he got to the cross. No, there's this thing where, yes, he's being crucified. And, and even in his physical death at the physical time, there's a physical person there being spared of consequences. What a great reminder of who God is and what he's trying to do. And Barabbas, I mean, not the greatest of guys. He'd be watched pretty heavily. They said he was guilty of murder during the insurrection. He has a tendency towards the negative. Let's just say it that way. Maybe that's politically correct. And yet... Jesus' path to the cross allows for even him to get a little respite, a little breather, maybe a second chance. Man, I wonder what happened to Barabbas after that. Now, there's traditions and things. You can try to find stuff in history books and other things outside of the Bible. But it's really hard to really know what really went on up here for that guy. What really went on in here for that guy. By the way, if you're listening to this on a podcast, you don't know where I'm pointing to when I say when in here or in here. This is why you come to church and don't just listen to it on the podcast. Okay? But we haven't forgot about you. We love you on the podcast. Just show up at a church. Doesn't need to be ours, but show up somewhere. That's how you do fellowship. Amen? Amen. Uh, and then we, we've got to remember that Jesus is in that business. We're going to run into some Barabbases, aren't we? Some sons of the Father. Aren't we all? Sons of the Father, daughters of the Father. I mean, half of you aren't. Okay, half of you are daughters of the Father, right? But what's the point? Is that Jesus makes provision for a pardon here when probably no one else would. That's an opportunity that we have. We need to take advantage of it and know that that's our message in the Easter time of year and really all times of the year. And we've got a great opportunity with with uh, Monday, Thursday and Lord's Supper and Good Friday and Easter and Palm Sunday and Passion Week. I mean, we've got all these easy conversations that we could start now. How do we get into those? How do you get into those in the other times of the year? This is important. That's why we're here. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a religious holiday is too hard of an initial conversation starter for you. But you know, you can get creative and you can have a little fun with it. Hey, did you hear there were two bombings in Egypt today, yesterday, whatever? Can you start a conversation that way. You got somebody's attention right like that. Now you're having a conversation. Man, why do you think they did that? Play dumb. 
Why do you think they did that? Would they bomb again? Let them come up with the answers. Oh, churches. wonder why they came after churches. My man, Christians seem to be persecuted a lot. Why do you think that is? What if you just got the conversation started that way? And see where it goes. And see if you can't get Barabbas' attention. And be part of facilitating a future pardon for them, maybe? We don't know. But we can try. You know, the second thing I think the sacrifice of Jesus does... And this is as simple as it gets. It saves others. It saves others. Verse 29 through 31. Love how it says this. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. It goes on. says even more. But I love this idea that even get, in getting it wrong, they got it right. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he make the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? So that he could fulfill a couple scriptures? Well, Yes. But that was kind of the sideshow. He rode on a donkey. Yeah, and they told everybody that he was going to ride. The guy that comes, he'll be riding on a donkey. And that was good. And it was a fulfillment of scripture and prophecy. But ultimately, why did he show up and down? To go to the cross. And he knew it was coming, and he did it anyways. And, And one of the reasons he did it was to save you. Was to save you. So people could learn that they were worth a son. I had a seminary professor, very interesting guy, who said it to me, and I heard it that way for the very first time in the seminary class, that you were worth a son. Whoa. That changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? The way you think about it, the way you feel when it's said that way. Changed my ministry, for sure. But are you living... Like the sacrifice Jesus made was to save others. He's got to save you first. And then when you're saved, you can start getting that message out that others might be saved as well. Because weren't, weren't people watching as he was doing what he was doing? And the ones that were really paying attention and trying and looking and evaluating, they kind of came to some decisions, didn't they? That he really was maybe coming off the cross. That he really, really was saving himself. That he really was saving others. If he really was doing all those things, can he really do other things? Is he alive and active still? I mean, because I'm a little confused right now. I live in a culture that thinks God is dead and irrelevant, probably at best. If he is alive. And yet I'm here on a Sunday morning. There's all these people in here sitting. What? Did you guys miss the memo? Or is he still alive and well? And still trying to save others? Still trying to save our kids? I'm, I'm in a weird place, folks. I've been a lot of, a lot of losses lately. 
some suicides, car accident. We've lost some people. And I'm in a weird place because I'm feeling like the game is more real than I knew. There's an Old Testament passage where a guy's walking along the road and he says, you know, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. And I've always believed in God and I've always followed God, but I'm starting to feel like it's even more real than I thought and, and trying to understand the ramifications of how he plays out all the things today, not just back then, not just in a story we read from 2,000 years ago, but I mean today in marriages and relationships and our responsibilities and how we think and how we feel and how we interact, how our interpersonal communication goes about and the things that goes through other people's heads and yet we're yet to know and how it affects them. Why do we need so many counselors? Why, why do we get sick so often? Why do we fight about everything? Because we live in a world that's not saved yet. It's never been more evident to me than now. We live in a world that is not saved and yet meant to be. Meant to be saved. That's why I love uh, somebody turned me on to this idea that, you know, there's, there's Christians and there's non-Christians. And they said to me, oh, no, no, there's Christians and there's pre-Christians. They're just yet to be Christians. I said, well, real, what? He says, yeah, no, Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's just a matter of when they're pre-Christians. Love that. Because that's the road we're on. How do we get to a place where people recognize the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, his resurrection, and all the things that that means, and then his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and all the things that that means? You know, I think we could study those the rest of our lives and still not get it all covered. Amen? That's what we're going to do. Let's do that. Okay, let's uh, let's finish up. Last one. Uh, I think G- the sacrifice of Jesus compels us to decision. It compels us to decision, and you know, I, I think it's supposed to say compels us and others to Christ. You know, isn't that the phrase that we use at the church, Scott? You know, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ. Right? Right? How, where's the others in this? I think it's got to start with you. I left the others out because it's got to start with you. You need to be compelled to a decision. Period. And I think we have three different examples of it. Verse 21 is is, uh, Simon. They said they compelled a passerby, Simon, to carry the cross for him. You know, you had to make a decision. I'm going to jump in. It's going to cost me. I got to carry that big piece of wood. What? But he decides and he jumps in. Then in verse uh, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, respected member of the council, he goes and asks for Jesus' body. You know, he kind of had to make a decision there, wasn't didn't he? A costly decision. And yet he makes it. He says, I think I have a, a different perspective and value of what Palm Sunday was, about what this crucifixion was. Ultimately, I have a different idea of what the value of Christ is. I'm going to make my decisions based on that moving forward. Absolutely love that. But I think maybe my favorite is verse 39. I know the numbers are not in order, right? 21, 43, 39. Scott, what are you doing? (laughs) Can't go in order? Well, I'm going in a different order. 
Maybe a Hebrew, or you know, in a Hebrew, they, they, the way they write sometimes, it's not chronological. <laughs> it drove me nuts. And somebody trying to figure out why, aren't, why isn't it chronological? Sometimes they do it in order of importance or value, or they're trying to reiterate something. Uh, or maybe it's poetry and you didn't even know it. Right? But verse 39, that's the centurion. And he says, Surely. This was the Son of God. Now, to, to carry a cross or to go get the body and prepare a burial for Jesus, those are important things. Don't get me wrong. But before those things, the most important thing that has to be decided, that we celebrate and we hope to give as an option to all others, is the decision about who is Jesus Christ. Teacher, historical figure, good rabbi, or... As the centurion says, Mark chapter 15, verse 39. Surely, he was the son of God. I wonder what happened in his mind and in his heart going forward from that day. Think he had a little tough road? Roman centurion. Now he knows who the son of God is. And he had to manage his way through that. You need to manage your way through. Your life, your role, your title, your status, your relationships. But as you manage your way through those things, you get to make a decision every day, every conversation. Is Jesus Son of God? And you make your decision accordingly. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for uh, your Son, and we thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that the story's not over. Thank you, Lord, that there are 16 chapters in Mark. As Lord, we know there were many watching and experiencing this story that thought it was over. Your son crucified, buried. The disciples scattered. It was a dark day for some. And yet you weren't finished. There was more going on. We're so thankful, Lord, for all your motivations and why you did that. Your love for us, your value of us, your your care and value of your son. And so, Lord, for those that are here today and have things going on and, and they're in a dark place or they feel like it's over, I pray, Lord, you'd show them that it's not. That you're alive and well better than ever, still active, still want to be on the scene. And you're calling us to decision. Pray, Lord, that you would help them, that you would draw them in, that you would compel them to deeper, closer, more regular relationship with you. And then, Father, give them the avenues to pursue it. If you're here and that's you, uh, hey, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We want to help you. If you need prayer, come up after. We'd love to pray with you. Staff and prayer team will be up here. But if you've never made a decision for Christ, you can do that this morning. You can say it however you like. But you could say it this way. Father, I thank you for your son and for all that he did. 
I accept his sacrifice on my behalf and I beg your forgiveness. Help me to be yours from this day forward. If that's your prayer, we want to help you. Connect with us after service. Come talk to us. Let's get started on that relationship. Father, we thank you for all this. We pray this in your son, Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.